I want you to see what I have experienced. That not only so we can know, but hopefully so we can grow from it as well. So I want to tell you just a little bit about uh, King Solomon here this morning. When he started off uh, as a young man, what we uh, believe we know about him is that he had a very intimate and close relationship with God. That, that God blessed him. That God gave him you know, abilities and powers in his life. Resources to build his kingdom. Uh, leadership gifts. Um, by all intents and purposes, this guy, he was absolutely amazing. And then, uh, as if things weren't quite settled in his life, it started to happen that he began to search for the meaning of life. And while searching for the meaning of life isn't necessarily a bad pursuit for Solomon, what this meant was he decided to leave the life that he was walking with God, and it became all about him and not about God. Now, on the outside, you can see this very visible, like, outward climb of success, but on the inside, things were not good, things were not healthy for him. It, it, it was as if there was this internal erosion that was wasting away inside of his life. And what we find is that King Solomon decided to take a journey and to kind of go away from God to find this meaning, to find this purpose. And what we find is that he spent kind of the next 40 years of his life lost, looking, wandering, searching, and seeking to find that meaning, that significance, that, that satisfaction, if you will. It was as if he couldn't get any satisfaction, and so he was looking for and what we find is, when we look at the book, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he says this as he kind of kicks off this, this search. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, right? Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now that's got to be really encouraging, right? <laughs> to have in our scriptures mean that life, it just is all meaningless. Here is, here's King Solomon who, who wants at one point in his life was full of meaning, was full of purpose, and now he says that life was meaningless, that it did not have a point, that the things were not good. He had purpose. He had a plan. He was willing and able to do that which he had set out to do. He was able to do all that God had asked him to do, but then he moved away from that, and he's looking for meaning in life, and he has now become lost because things are meaningless. And in this searching, he decides to experiment, Right? He decides to begin to try all these different things and all of everything in order to find that satisfaction. First, he tried wisdom and power, right? He tried wisdom and power. Look what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 13, if you go down just a little bit farther. It says, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He decided to pursue wisdom. We know from 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30, that God gave him wisdom, that, that Solomon was wise. In fact, there was no one wiser than King Solomon. He was wiser than any other person. And the text says in verse 16, he says, Look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Right? So he is taking that pursuit. He's doing his thing, but, but he didn't stop there. Verse 17, it says, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom. It wasn't just enough to be wise. He wanted to apply that wisdom, which makes sense, right? I mean, what good is a lot of wisdom if you can't use it, if you can't you know, benefit from it, if things can't be better? So he did. And what happened as a result of that was he started to become very powerful. The Bible tells us that people came from all over the surrounding areas and countries just to come and hear and to sit in his presence and hear of his wisdom, right? 
And with that wisdom came power. And we know with great power comes great responsibility, right? He had this wisdom. He had, he had this power. And he, he was using it. And yet, as he started to do that, little, little later on, verse 17, he says that all of it was a chasing after the wind. You ever tried that? Yeah, good luck. Let me know how it turns out. You're chasing after the wind. The Bible tells us that, that he, he was all about the search for this wisdom and this, this power, and yet it was like chasing after the wind. So he goes on, since that didn't work, and he begins a search uh, to all about money. In, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought slaves. I had silver and gold for myself. I acquired men and women singers. I became greater by far than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. I remember reading that uh, one commentary or, or another pastor, somebody said that how arrogant is he to say that he did all of that, right? He was supposed to be wise, but he didn't do that, right? It's not as if he was doing that. Instead, he could have anybody do things for him, right? He'd snap his fingers and, and things would happen. The Bible tells us that it took 13 years for him to build his house, for his house to be built. 13 years. Under his power and leadership, there were parks and aquariums. People, people brought him whatever he wanted, when he wanted. He acquired this huge life for himself, right? He had all of this stuff and he surrounded himself with all of this stuff. He was the most powerful guy in the entire world and yet he said that none of it satisfied. None of it was satisfactory. So he kept searching. He decided to search for meaning in relationships and in drink. And day after day and time after time after time again, he didn't deny himself the company of anyone he wanted. If, if there was a woman he wanted, he indulged in that. If there was drink he wanted, he drank all he could handle. And as he continued to deny himself nothing, he says again and again, it still didn't satisfy. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but wonder, can you identify with Solomon? Now, you probably don't have the time or the resources to invest in this pursuit like Solomon did, right? Nor will you probably go to the extremes that Solomon pursued, but, but I really think that if we are honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that we spend at least part of our day, every day, searching for satisfaction. We search for satisfaction in the things we do and in the places we go. We search for satisfaction in our church and in our, in our relationships. We search for satisfaction in our education and in our job and in our hobbies and in our sports teams. We, we seek satisfaction in the approval of others or in the validation from other people. We think that if we just had a little bit more money, if, if I could just change my wardrobe or lose those 15 pounds, if I could just become friends with that person, if I could make the team, or, or if I could do this, if life had more meaning, if I could feel more significant, then things would be better. I would be more satisfied with my life, and so I just need to pursue those things. And yet King Solomon who tried all those things and more, he would say to us, hey, you know what? It's all meaningless. Every bit of it is meaningless. None of it is going to satisfy your life. Solomon spent about 40 years trying to come to that conclusion. And what's interesting for me is, is through the years uh, in ministry, I've had the opportunity uh, to talk to people who 
have shared stories about their search for satisfaction. And they've shared how that pursuit of satisfaction has cost them days and weeks and months and years, and in some cases, even decades of their life. And as I thought about that, I think I have to be completely honest in my own life. As I think about that, it has cost me as well. And my experience would say that if you are honest with yourself, you would be able to say that it has cost you also. So here's what happened in Solomon's life. He tells us what has happened. At the end of this search for the satisfaction, he gives a summary. He basically says, hey, I've done all that I could do, and I've shared everything with you, but there's one more thing. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he says, now all has been heard. In other words, hey, I've told you everything. I've been transparent. I've told you the story. I've used all of my resources and money to, to search higher and deeper and farther than anyone has ever searched before. And here's the conclusion of the matter. He says, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. Mic drop, right? And he just kind of walks away. That's, that's basically the end of what we need. You want to know what life is like, he says? You fear God, and you keep his commandments. That's it. That's all. You're through. But with all due respect to Solomon, I, I think there may be more to life than just fearing God and obeying his commandments. Because some of you may be here this morning, and you're saying to yourself, fear God? Yep, I know all about that, right? I was taught that from the time I can't remember. Maybe you've been taught that God is up there in heaven and he's just waiting for you to mess up. And when you do, he's going to nail you, right? So you live in that fear, looking over your shoulder, wondering, ah, is the day of the day, right? And yet, when you, you read the scriptures, what you find is, is that it's really, that part of it is, is an incomplete picture of who God is. Fearing God is not about being afraid of God. It's more about giving him the honor and the respect and the glory and the worship that is due to him. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come, everyone, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord God on the earth. Let's worship him. Now, now, I don't know what that type of image brings to your mind, right? But what I want you to know is that this idea of coming before God and worshiping him is not really something you do, it's more of, of who you are. Yes, we gather together for a time of worship, but this really isn't to be our only time uh, that we worship. You see, I would suggest that part of the struggle that we engage in as we're trying to seek and find that satisfaction of life, and even satisfaction with God, is that we feel as though we have to have things figured out. I think sometimes we feel like it all has to make sense, and if it doesn't make sense, then, then there can't be any worship or joy or satisfaction in life. And maybe you're here today, and you may be sitting there saying, you know what, I've never really felt like I've connected with God ever in my life, or maybe you haven't connected with Him in a long time. Maybe you've entered into this place this morning, and you're tired and frustrated. One person said this morning when they got here, you know, the only thing I really want to do is sleep and eat, right? You're just kind of, Maybe you've been going hard all week. It's been one of those weeks that you just that things are almost out of control with your kids, your activities, and, and you just don't feel as though you can keep pushing that rock up the hill. And you just you just want to not. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. I just want to take a few moments. I, I want to encourage you in some of the ways that I've been encouraged when I don't feel satisfied. 
when, when things don't seem to be going well. Because often in life, we don't always get those Psalm 23 type of things, right? That, lo, I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for God is with me, right? Sometimes, instead, we feel more like the end of Psalm 88, which reads, darkness is my closest friend. Here's what I have to say. In my life, hopefully it's true in your life as well, regardless of, you, of where you are, you're okay. Because God is with you. It's going to be okay. And I do not stand up here on this platform this morning as someone who claims to have all the answers, or maybe even any of the answers. But, but what I want to share with you today are just a couple of things that have proven to be beneficial for me. Especially in those times when I feel more like darkness is my closest friend than I do that God is with me and I am conquering as I walk through. The first thing I want to suggest is what we talked about is worship. I want to try to explain in just a, a few moments what I mean by worship because, because it's, it's more than I could ever talk about. I, I've gone through times in my life uh, where my relationship with God is fresh and new and exciting and every day is a great adventure, right? That, that we're walking and we feel like we're walking side by side and you know, he's leading and things are just really good. And then there's times in my life when I've just kind of felt spiritually dry. It, it feels like you're alone. I, I felt a, alone and I, and I feel like I'm out in that desert just kind of wandering through. And there are mirages that pop up and they seem to offer hope and things will seemingly satisfy, but they just, they just don't. And for me, one of the things that has helped me leave the desert and find that water that really, truly quenches the thirst of my soul is my ability to worship God. And, and while worship of God is truly so much broader and grander and deeper and more meaningful than, than we could really talk about here this morning, I, I want to share a couple of things around this idea of worship. And some things maybe to consider if you feel like worship is difficult for you, and maybe this will help. One of the problems that we face in our life is that we just seem to live a life that is at this hectic pace. And, and of course, this is something we talk about often because it's so relevant in our lives. We are always on the go, or we're on our phones, or we're checking our email, or we're, we're checking our social media. We're always doing those things. It's becoming easier and easier and easier to always be connected. Wi-Fi in your car. Is that a great idea? I mean, when are we ever going to disconnect? Because we don't disengage, we're not ever not busy. And here's the thing, it's not as if God can't meet you there in your busyness. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but I want to suggest that sometimes, especially when, when we feel like we're in that wilderness or in the desert or we're far from God, sometimes what we need to do is simply be still. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. During worship between songs, it was quiet, right? There's this uneasiness that comes in our life when there's that quiet, when there's that still, when there's that lack of movement. And yet we need at times to just slow down for a second and just 
You simply put in the address, you push go, and away you go. And I'm like, no, no, no. How did you get it to tell you where to turn? You see, in my Waze app, which is, I thought, just like her Waze app, when I put in the address and I put it up on my dash, Gina, that's what I call her, Gina <laughs> tells me to turn left or to turn right. But on Michelle's, the nice British man, he tells you to turn left or to turn right, and then tells you the name of the road on which to turn. And I'm like, that would be so helpful when you don't know where you're going, right? Especially here in New Jersey at times. And I got to thinking about that. That little bit of extra information is useful, right? And I would suggest that when we go through our life, living in the presence of God, that helps guide us. It helps direct us. It helps tell us where to turn and where to go. Because here's the thing, and maybe you can relate to this. I cannot stand up here and honestly tell you that I always know exactly where I'm going. I'm no longer talking about driving, right? I'm talking about life. I'm talking about decisions we make in life. I don't know that I always know exactly where I'm going, because truthfully, things are not always clear. And yeah, I may know to turn left, but I'm not sure exactly if that's the right road. You understand what I'm saying? I don't always feel as though God is making my paths straight. And yet, time and time again, when I go to his word, I read stories about how God is faithful and that he is near. I'm reminded that he has love for us and he gives us his grace and his mercy and that if we will seek and knock and we will find him because he is not far from each one of us. I hear stories uh, from my friends, uh, stories from uh, people here in this body of believers who can relate to those feelings of uncertainty, those feelings of, of wondering, hey God, where are you? And, and questioning if he cares. And at the same time, I also hear stories like I heard this last, this past week when a man shared with me that he, he feels like he's come through what Henry Nowen calls the dark night of the soul. And as he came through that, he found that God was there, speaking to him, loving him, showing him the way. And the amazing thing that I hear from people time and time and time again is when they come through that and they come to the other side, they add this last part that they found God and then they realize that God has been there all alone. They just simply were not aware of it. There are these beautiful words of Jesus in, in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I heard a preacher once say that he, wish, he wishes Jesus would have said that his people are like rhinoceroses. They are strong and they can pave their own way, right? That's how we want to be, and yet we're not. We're like sheep. And the scriptures tell us that we have all sinned and gone astray. And so lovingly, Jesus says, hey, follow me. He doesn't drive us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't make us. Instead, he invites us. He directs us to walk with him, to worship him, and to live in an awareness that he is there, that he's given us grace, and he's given us his mercy. And through what Christ has done for us, we can walk in that relationship with him. We can walk with him, and we can discover and experience the satisfaction of life for which we are searching, the satisfaction that our heart needs, the satisfaction that our soul longs for. You see, I, I'm convinced that our true satisfaction in life can only be found through Christ Jesus and Him alone. And for me, at least, it starts with worshiping Him and being aware of Him as I walk through my life day after day after day. And it's surrendering to Him. It's realizing that 
because of all he has done for us, because of his amazing love for us, that we can have that relationship, that we can walk with him. You see, Jesus came to this earth so that we could have life and have that life to the full. And he gave us forgiveness of our sins so that we could, we could walk with him. And he did that through what he did for us on the cross, and how he willingly gave up his life so that we could have life. And each week, we have the opportunity to, to remember that, to celebrate and to be thankful for what Christ has done for us. We, we have the opportunity to, to rejoice and to be thankful that we have the opportunity to share in, in a meal that, that he instituted when he said, here is bread and it represents my body. Take it and eat it. And here is here's juice, the fruit of the vine. Take and drink it. For it represents my blood. Do this and remember me. We do this and we celebrate him. We, we're joyful. We remember him. In just a moment, the ushers are going to pass the tray. And there's going to be a tray which has bread, which represents his body, and a tray that has juice, which represents his blood. And as believers, we invite you to partake of that, to take the emblems, to, to hold them, and, and to think about it and to reflect on what God has done for you and how he wants to walk in relationship. We're going to do that through a time of worship together. And when you're ready to partake this morning, we'd like to do so. We're going to pray, ask the ushers to pass the tray. You take of the communion. You remember, you celebrate as we do that together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love in our life. Thank you that you have come into our hearts, into our lives, so that we can experience you. God, thank you for this opportunity we have to take a moment to remember your sacrifice to be thankful, to celebrate you, and, and to rejoice in what you've done for us. Father, as we take of these emblems, may our focus be on you and on you alone. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that you are with us. Help us to be aware of you. It's your son,
grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses the knowledge that, that you, that all of us, will be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Have a great week. Pause it unless it's unlocked. What? <laughs> Shit.